You may be seated. Good morning. My name is Ian. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and we're super excited that you're here with us in person, as well as those who are joining us online. Thank you for being here. Um, Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church exists to do three things. One, we are a community that strives to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two, to help them grow to be like Christ. And three, to serve others. And so in your bulletin, you'll see we have those three things highlighted and some ways that we can do that. One of those that I wanted to uh, highlight is Common Ground. Our ladies' ministry is coming up on January 20th at 6.30. Um, I, I would say that I, I know it's a great time, but I don't know. So, no, it's a great time. Um, tomorrow, um, there's a funeral here for Josie Bodie. If you would like to attend, it will also be online um, on our website. There will be a luncheon to follow, but that will be at 11 with visitation at 10. With that, uh, would you bow your heads with me? Dear Jesus, thank you for this day and this opportunity to gather here in your name, Lord. We just finished celebrating Christmas not that long ago, and... Part of that celebration is the fact that you are the king, and we thank you for that. We thank you that we don't have to worry about whether you are with us, whether you are good, or whether you are in control, because we know that you are all of those things. We thank you that we know that you are here with us as we worship. Help us to worship sincerely in a way that doesn't try and hide any of our faults, because we know that you see them already. Help us, Lord, as, um, as we hear your word. Help us to um, just open our hearts and allow it to transform us and change us and make us more like you. We pray for Chuck and his family with Josie's passing. We ask that you would help them make your presence known and obvious to them and give, us, give them your peace, Lord. We thank you that we know that Josie is in heaven and that she knew her Savior. We ask for Pastor Tim and his family. Um, we thank you for this baby that's, that's on the way, Lord, and we just pray that you would uh, make yourself obvious in that situation. We love you, Father, and ask that you would just continue to bless us this morning and thank you again for who you are and what you've done. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen that you stand again as we continue in worship. Um, you know, with so many things going on in, in the world and where we're all at right now, I don't even have words to really comfort anybody or anything, but I just know that music is often the place where I go to find that rest and that comfort, and that's what worship really is. So when we're singing this morning, I just hope that you can find a bit of peace this morning to really focus on the words that are there and to really, um, I don't know, just find rest for your soul.
I'm not preaching. <laughs> um, we have Will Lowry here with us, who's a missionary to Birmingham. Um, what else do you want me to say about you? <laughs> Will's a Moody grad. Um, I met his wife while I was at Moody, um, and he's a great guy. So thanks for bringing the word, Will. What a powerful introduction. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I'm super thankful to be able to be here uh, with you guys today. Um, yeah, I, I, my wife and I live over in Rhinelander uh, right now, so not far away. Um, we've kind of been traveling all over the place, uh, going to various different churches throughout the Northwoods. So I've only been here one time before on a Sunday, um, but super thankful to be able to come and, and to be able to share some of God's Word, and uh, especially a passage which... He has placed on my heart um, for, I don't know, the past seven years. This is one that I kind of continually find myself returning to. Um, so excited to be able to look at it with you. Um, but yeah, as, as Ian said, uh, my name is Will Lowry. Uh, my wife, Katie, is uh, right up there. And uh, we're going to be uh, doing missionary work in Birmingham, England. Um, it's a city in the very center of the UK, kind of dead center of the island. And uh, particularly one of the things we're looking at doing long term is uh, doing church planting work in some of the Muslim majority portions of the city, um, trying to uh, proclaim the goodness of who Christ is amidst the people who are seeking God, but who just are missing Christ. They're, they're missing the point. And uh, so we're, we're in the process right now of raising support and doing everything to be prepared to go. Um, but that's not what uh, this is about today. Today's about looking at God's Word, so we'd love to share more with you. Um, yeah, come chat to us. Uh, we'd love to meet up, grab some coffee, grab some lunch or something like that, because we are close by. Um, but uh, before uh, we read this passage, um, let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, Lord Christ, Holy Spirit, we... We thank you as uh, we, we just sang in this last uh, doxology um, that you are to be praised, uh, that spirit you are with us now and that one day 
I, Christ, we will see you face to face. And Lord, as we uh, look at a passage of uh, a moment when Isaiah got to see you uh, face to face, uh, would, you, would you store our hearts in worship of who you are, in, in your beauty, in your majesty, in your closeness, and in your love? Uh, as, as I share, Spirit, would you uh, speak through me and anything you desire for me not to say? Would you shut my mouth and uh, would, you, would you speak into the hearts of each of us individually uh, to know what it is that you would desire to say to us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so today in, in this passage in Isaiah 6, we're going to be talking a lot about uh, God's calling. That's kind of the, the theme of, of the sermon, if you will. Uh, and I, I just want to kind of make one thing clear. When I say God's calling, um, I really just mean anything which God would desire for you to do, anything which God is asking you to do. Um, my, my wife and I often get questions of kind of like, oh, how do you know God's calling you to, to England or why England or, or all these sorts of things? And, and so sometimes there's these large life-changing move internationally calls of God. Uh, but more often, uh, day by day, there's these small things which he requires of us, whether it's uh, general things he just has said in his scripture to, uh, to pray, to worship him, to share the gospel, or, or whether it's just individual things uh, of where the spirit might stir your heart. Of, you know, I, I need to just bake some cookies and give them to my neighbor to, to show them the love of Christ or uh, caring for, for somebody who's... Uh, having a difficult time or, or rejoicing in, in the birth of a newborn. Um, kind of there's, there's all sorts of calls which God gives us. And, and so I just want to be clear, that's ultimately what I'm talking about. Um, everything from major to, to seemingly minor things that God might ask us to do. And I, I also have an assumption um, that, that I'm just giving, and it's that God is calling every single one of us to something. Uh, every person in this room, God is calling us to do something, to follow him in some way. Uh, and we'll look at that a little bit more. Um, but the, the passage for today is from Isaiah chapter 6. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn there with me, or, or of course, um, can listen. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and thresholds shook, and and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar. With it he touched my mouth. See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, 
until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. This is God's word, which he has given to us for our good. And so before we look more in depth at this passage, I I just want to ask a question to to have you kind of be able to reflect on it. Have, Have you ever seen just pure beauty, something just truly majestic that just at the sight of it, it, it inspires awe. And, and you kind of can't do anything but just just stare at it. You, you almost like lose a sense of being able to speak. And, and like, how can you possibly explain what this is like to someone? And I, so I grew up in Arizona. So for one of the ones that's really quick to me is looking at the Grand Canyon. Like in, in one sense, if you try to explain the Grand Canyon, it's like, it's a really big hole in the ground. But if you stand before it, it's just, it's beautiful. It, it, you, the expanse of it, and, and just, you can't put to words the feeling and, and just the awe that it instills in every person I know that's seen it. Or I also traveling along the West Coast, being, being able to see these giant redwood trees. They, they just inspire this awe. You can't comprehend how could a tree be this large and this beautiful uh, or, or if you've been to the Rocky Mountains or to the Appalachian Mountains, they, they kind of instill that same sort of thing. Uh, or, or going to the ocean or Lake Superior, just seeing this massive expanse, it just it does something in our souls of just moving us to, to awe and to wonder at its beauty. And so I, I wonder for you what, what that thing might be, what's, what's kind of that most beautiful thing your eyes have ever beheld. Um, and ultimately for me, it's stars. Um, I, I grew up in a city. I lived in Chicago. We moved to another city. I, I've always been in these massive cities, so I've never really been able to see stars. Um, you know, can see the Big Dipper, and that's basically it. Uh, and, but they still have amazed me there. And then we've now moved up to Rhinelander, where every clear night you can see every star in existence. And, and it's just beautiful. And, and I can't help but just stand there and stare up even though I'm wearing no jacket and freezing, like it just it instills this awe and, and this just beauty and magnificence. Um, and, and so I have a, a photo up here that um, it's a it's a fairly well known photo, so you maybe have seen it before. But it's uh, a picture which was taken by the Hubble telescope uh, called the uh, Deep Field, and it was uh, this section of sky where there was nothing. Um, it, it kind of just looked like this blank area, um, a part of the Big Dipper, actually. Uh, and, and from our perspective, kind of, oh, there's nothing there. It's just a, this empty area. Um, but they spent 10 days having the Hubble telescope shine directly on this one spot and found this. They, they found literally billions and billions of galaxies in this spot, which as far as we knew... Uh, as far as we could see previously, there was nothing there. It, it was just empty space. And, and like, it just never fails to amaze me, the, the expanse of space, the, the fact that, oh, there was nothing there, and there is billions, trillions of stars. In, in this tiny area, I, apparently it's the, the size of a tennis ball at the end of a football field. Like, that's how much space it takes up, and, and this is how many stars were shown. And, and so I just love it 
astronomy, and, and so it never fails to amaze me. Uh, but I wonder what it is for you. What's that thing where, where when you've seen it, it just it takes your breath away? And then uh, another one, have you ever just experienced like raw power before? Um, I, I haven't ever been a part of a natural disaster, but I'm just imagining like what it would be like to be in a hurricane or, or in an earthquake uh, or, or a tornado. Um, growing up again in Arizona, we don't have any of those things, um, but we do have pretty severe thunderstorms. Uh, and we also have these things called haboobs, which are basically these massive uh, sandstorms that come through. And, and just standing in that, uh, when, when you see this wall of just dirt coming at you at 70 miles an hour or something like that, there, there's just this moment of where you just feel powerless and, and just recognize like the, the pure power of nature around us. And, and if you're a Christian, you know ultimately that's, that's God's power. But, but have you ever been in that position of where you're just kind of dumbstruck by how powerful something is? Maybe, maybe being in a thunderstorm and lightning crashes right beside your house and, and shakes the whole house and kind of that echo of the thunder just seems to never end for a while. I, ha, have you ever been in these moments of just awe-inspiring beauty or absolute power? And I ask that because... Those are kind of things God has given us which show aspects of his character, but, but those are dim reflections of the beauty and the power of God, uh, of what we're going to look at in more depth, uh, of what Isaiah got to experience as he stood before the throne room of God. And so uh, we're going to kind of go through mostly verse by verse, um, and, and I'm going to share uh, little bits kind of uh, along those lines Um, But so it starts out this passage. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Um, So King Uzziah died uh, roughly about 740 B.C. Um, So this was, you know, 2062 years ago um, that that Isaiah had this experience. Um, But he, he says that he sees the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Uh, it, it seems that Isaiah gets this picture, if you know kind of what Old Testament Judaism was like, uh, he gets this picture of God seated in a throne in the Holy of Holies of the temple, in this area where only once a year the high priest was allowed to go in to offer a sacrifice for the people's sin. But otherwise it was known as the place where God himself chose to dwell amongst his people. And God gives Isaiah this glimpse inside of it, this glimpse behind the veil uh, and, and he's able to see God, he says, high and exalted. Uh, the, the train of his robe is, is kind of a, a thing that in this time in, in the near uh, Far East, kings would have these large trains on their robe, and it was a symbol of their power and of their glory and their strength. And, and so Isaiah is basically, he has the largest uh, train of his robe. It fills the whole temple, um, which is a symbolic of God's, God's glory. But I, I find it interesting because he says, He's high and exalted, and that's all Isaiah says about what God looks like. I, and, and I think the reason for that is because it's some of that just undescribable beauty. It's, it's the Grand Canyon. It's the, you know, he can say something, but no matter what, it's always going to fall short of what it is actually like to behold God as who he truly is. And, and so we see throughout Scripture, the authors of Scripture try to do this. And they always fall terribly short. And it just ends up being some like 
his cloak was whiter than anyone could bleach it, or, or his eyes were like fire and his feet were like bronze, and it just gives these weird images of just, you can tell they're struggling to try to explain how beautiful God is, but they, it just can't be explained by words because it, it surpasses our ability of language. And, and so I think Isaiah here just kind of settles with, he was high and exalted, and just leaves it at that, doesn't try to explain anything more. And so instead he starts to explain the things which were around God. And so it says in verse 2, Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, I... If, if you're a Christian for a while, um, you, you might know that angels are kind of often categorized in two bits of seraphim and cherubim. Um, this is the only place in the Bible where this word seraphim is used uh, to, to speak of angels. And, and it means burning ones. And, and so rather than trying to explain God, he just looks at these creatures around him and, and is just already like you can't even explain those somehow they're these burning ones that have six wings that cover and shelter their faces and that shelter their feet like what terrifying sounding like things but but these are the attendants of god those are what are flying around his throne uh, caring for him really just singing out his praises continually singing holy 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 is the lord almighty the whole earth is full of his glory and so at this picture that Isaiah sees, uh, and, and, and as he hears them say these things, it, it says, At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Uh, just not even God's power, let alone just the beings that are around him. When they say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, just at the mention of his name, the entire temple begins to shake. Like, stonework begins to shake at the powerful calling of their voices. What, what power and beauty Isaiah has got to enter into. And so, in, in light of all this, Isaiah gives the only response that's appropriate for sinful man when they're in the presence of God. It says, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king the Lord Almighty. Isaiah gives the only response that man really could when he comes into this perfect, beautiful, powerful presence of God. He falls to his face and cries out how unworthy he is. And ultimately, that's, that's what every person does in Scripture when they encounter God. They, they fall to their faces and, and they cry out in repentance and they cry, Lord, don't hurt me. They, they are filled with this fear because they know as soon as they see him, there is something so different. He, he is holy. He is perfect. He is powerful. And, and they just instantly recognize this and recognize their own faults. But... God doesn't just leave Isaiah there. Instead, he sends one of these angels, one of these burning ones out to him and says, One of these seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And so God doesn't just leave Isaiah in this fear, in this tear. Instead, he sends one of his attendants to him 
to, to touch this coal to his lip, to, to purify him. Fire is known as a, a purifying thing. And so as it touches his lip, it purifies him. And, and I think this is another thing which looks at kind of the power of God. Like, Isaiah doesn't have to go through a fire. He doesn't have to be burned up as gold would be to be purified. It just, it just touches his lip, and God takes all of his impurity. He takes all of his sin. He takes all of his faults and heals him just at, at the slightest touch of this coal from the altar. And so I, I have another question for you, and, and this is one, if you're one of the people who likes to take notes, it's I kind of written there as a fill-in-the-blank but it's how have you encountered God? I think more, more specifically, I, I just want to ask, have you encountered this God? Have you encountered this God that's described in Isaiah and throughout the Bible who is high and exalted, who rules over heaven, earth, and the whole cosmos, whose glory fills the entire earth, who everywhere one looks, he finds these reflections of who he is. Whether we look up through the most powerful telescopes into blank spots of the sky, or we look through microscopes at the beauty of a cell, or we just look to the snow outside and, and to a, a campfire and see these reflections of who God is and the things he's created. Have you encountered this God who tells lightning where to strike and graciously gives rain to our crops? This God who lives in an unapproachable light and who at the smallest glimpse glimpse of him, all we can do is fall on our faces and confess that we're not worthy. But also this God who takes away our guilt and our shame and our sin by the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. Have you encountered this God? Have you encountered the Lord as he's described in Scripture? Because there's many different kind of so-called gods that we're presented with. Uh, we're, we're presented with many different pictures of Jesus or of God, whether it's uh, kind of, you know, the God of the Old Testament is just this wrathful kind of wicked person, or, or Jesus is just this kind of lovey-dovey hippie who, who's just everybody's friend all the time and never says anything that might hurt your feelings. Like, we're, we're presented with all these different images of God. And so I want to ask, have you encountered this God, this God that Isaiah sees. And of course, uh, encounters with God rarely look like Isaiah's vision here. Um, if anybody has had one like that, like please share it with me. Um, but, but that's not usually the way that God approaches people. Um, and, and so I'll just share with you the, the most powerful encounter I've ever had with God. Um, it, it came after um, I, I grew up and, and was a drug addict and God kind of miraculously healed me from that. And uh, and since then, I, I've had plenty of moments of just seeing God do miraculous things and, and of seeing God work in incredible ways. And I, But still the most powerful encounter I've ever had with him was one day where I was sitting in church and just for some reason the Spirit of God in that moment chose to reveal to me just the truth of who he is, that Jesus is his son, that he died and rose again on my behalf, and that the Heavenly Father loves me. And I sat throughout this entire service that was nothing about that. And I just wept and wept and wept. And left that with this understanding of, wow, this God is so great. How could I do anything other than follow him, than do the things which he has called me to? It wasn't until several years later where I was able to look back at this moment and to recognize, like, 
Oh, man, the reason why I wept so much was because for the first time in my life, I, I, I was 18 at this point, for the first time in my life, I felt and I knew that someone truly and genuinely loved me. And I knew that it was God himself. It was the creator of the cosmos and all these things who, who loved me and who chose that moment to show himself to me. And, and so I asked this question of how you have you encountered the Lord? There, there's many different ways that you might. And, and if you ask people beside you, we're, we're all going to have different ways. Um, but have you encountered the Lord? And, and then my second question, which is also on that paper, is what is he calling you to? What is he calling you to do? I, I said in the beginning, um, everyone in this room, God is calling them to something. Um, and, and ultimately, it's, it's not a question of if he's calling you, um, but of what or where. So God is calling all of us to something. And and the first thing I want to say is, if your answer to that first question, uh, have you encountered the Lord, is no, or, or I don't know, like the thing God is calling you today, I feel I can say absolutely certainly, is seek him. It, it's just, read his word, but more above all, just pray that he would show you who he truly is. And, and I can't promise that he will. He's going to do whatever he wants, but... But he's promised in the book of Jeremiah, he says, if you earnestly seek me with all your heart, you will find me. I will be found by you. In the book of James, he says, I seek me because I am not far off. I am near. If we just choose to like, desire to encounter this God and to seek him, to, to ask him to show himself, he, he will. That, that's a part of his character. And, and so that's the first thing. If, if your first answer is no, what he's calling you to is seek me. Just, just ask him every day. Just, just ask, Lord, would you show me who you are? God, would you show me who you actually are? Not, not who various preachers have told me, not who TV tells me, not any of this, but who you actually are. Show yourself to me. That above all else, that's what God might be calling us to. I... But then there's also other things that if you have encountered God, if you, if you do put your faith in Christ, he's calling us all to do something to serve him and to serve his kingdom. Um, and, and there's dozens of ways that, that he might call us. Um, but, but I'm going to share a little bit of my wife. Um, I got her permission to do this. But I, I have kind of her, her calling into doing foreign missions. Um, you see, she, I, like me, was a Bible student down at Moody Bible Institute. Um, was friends with Ian at the time, and, um, and she kind of went there with this, like, oh, yeah, foreign missions is important. It's important that the entire planet proclaims the glory of God, that people get to hear the good news of who Christ is. Uh, but I'm never going to do that. Like, I, I'll send people, um, you know, I'll, I'll help support them financially, I'll pray for them, but no, that's, that's not for me. God's, God would definitely have me do something else, and and so she spent three years at this Bible college, and, and we would have these missions conferences every year, uh, which, ironically enough, now that I'm a missionary, I hated all of them. I couldn't stand them. Um, but, but we would have these missions conferences uh, every year, and she sat through three of them and kind of continued having them. Like, yeah, foreign missions is so important. It's so important that we take the word of God throughout the entire planet, that everyone would have this opportunity to encounter this great God, but not me. 
that's for somebody else. And, and it wasn't until her, her last year, her senior year of having this missions conference, I, where somebody just simply said, what if instead of having this idea of I'll stay where I am until God calls me to go, what if instead we changed our mindset to I'll go unless God calls me to stay? And just that really simple thing that I'm sure almost nobody else remembers him saying, God just pushed on Katie's heart and, and just she, she kind of had this like, oh man, yeah. What if, what if I should go until God tells me to stay here in the States or stay here in Chicago or stay here in Wisconsin? And, and, and so she started looking for these opportunities and, and felt God saying, like, would you go if I told you? And she stuck with, like, well, yeah, of course, if you told me to, like, of course I'll go. And I go, okay, well, well I want you to go somewhere this summer. And, um, and, and so she kind of started getting challenged with that. And she's like, okay, well, I can do somewhere kind of in, in West Europe. And I was like, okay. Like, that's great, but what if I wanted you to go to further east? Like, okay, yeah, yeah, like, I could do something in Central Europe. Oh, that's great. What if I wanted you to go further east? Like, yeah, I guess I could kind of do East Europe. And like, okay, well, well what if I wanted you to go further still? And, and, and eventually she ended up uh, in, in a place in the Middle East, um, which I'll just leave out the name of it for um, some of the people we know there. But, but she ended up in, in this area, heavily Muslim area, uh, which was never what she would have expected. I terrified. It's kind of she. She had made promises to God of like, I'm not going to support Ray's, and I'm not going to like end up in the Middle East, and and that's exactly where God places her, and and she finds just such joy there, and, and like that that directs her calling for the rest of her life to to us now going to do church planting in Muslim majority areas of, of the city of Birmingham. But so Katie's call, her, her encounter with God where he called her to this, it, it wasn't anything massive and majestic. It, it was just these small step-by-step, like, okay, God, I'll trust you in this. I'll trust you in this. I'll trust you in this. And, and that's very much my story, and I know it's going to be a lot of our stories. But if you've encountered God, he's calling you to do something. Um, and, and I'm going to just put up four kind of common excuses. One of the things I do love about the Bible is uh, it doesn't only give like the good stories. It doesn't only give when people are being the heroes and doing everything right. It also shows all their mess ups. Um, but, but some common excuses that, that I, we, we kind of might give to, to not do the thing God is asking of us is someone else could do it better. Uh, Moses, if you're familiar with him, he has this beautiful moment where he's standing before this flaming bush that's not being consumed. God himself is speaking through this bush. He does all kinds of miracles in that moment. And what does Moses say? Oh, God, I have a stutter, so can you send somebody else? And God rebukes him harshly and says, no, I'm calling you to do this. Or, or, or we might use our age as an excuse to not do something. Um, I'm not in this position, so I can't say much in it, but potentially, like, I'm retired. I don't have to do that stuff anymore. I can just rest for the rest of my life or something. I don't know. Or, or I'm too young. Like, nobody will listen to me. Um, and, and we see exactly that in Jeremiah. God calls him, and, and Jeremiah says, Lord, I'm too young. You need to send somebody else. You need to send somebody with years of wisdom where people will listen. And God harshly rebukes him and says, no, I've called you to do this. I, or, or we could kind of give up. I don't have what it takes I, I don't have the resources that's needed, what, whatever it might be. And, and we see that in the story of Gideon. If you're familiar, he, he collects this army to, to go and, and fight a foreign nation that's invading them. And God just continues to whittle them away 
until it's 300 people who are fighting against this nation. And God makes it clear, no, no, you're not going to do this by your own strength. You're going to do this because I am the one who's called you to. Um, and the last one that I'm going to bring up as an excuse, which few of us would actually want to say out loud, um, but, but I think it's deep in our hearts often. I know it's deep in my heart often, is those people don't deserve it. Um, or, or kind of the more friendly version of it. Well, we have problems of our own. Uh, and, and we see this in, in the story of Jonah, um, where he's sent out and fights and fights and tries to run away from God because he thinks the city of Nineveh doesn't deserve God's mercy. Um, and, and this isn't something we're going to say in church generally, but, but I'll just give one example of it um, Kind of an extreme one, but I, I, when I was living in Chicago, I had moved to a Southside neighborhood to to do some ministry there with a couple of other students, and uh, and while we were moving down there, one of my roommates uh, told his, one of his elders at his church, "It's like, oh yeah, we're moving down to Inglewood, and you know we're going to try to do ministry there." And his elder res- response was, "Why? Those people are never going to change." And I, I don't know if that was racially motivated, if it was just a lack of faith, if it, like, I, I don't know what it is, if you just assumed there's gangs there, so it's, you know, all hope is lost. I, I don't know what it is, but, but I think there's a bit where we tend to do that. I tend to do that if God calls me uh, to generally through my wife, um, but like, go, go over to the neighbor's house and invite them over for dinner. Go, go in and take these cookies over and, and just be able to start showing them the love of Christ. And, and I answer on God's behalf, on that person's behalf, like, oh, no, 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 they're not going to listen. So like, I'm not going to spend the energy. I'm not going to embarrass myself. And, and I decide beforehand whether they're worthy or not of hearing what God has called me to do. And, and so maybe it's some of these, maybe it's one of the billions others, but, but what are some of your excuses Particularly if you have something on your mind of, man, God has been calling me to do this one thing, but I haven't. What's your excuse? Isaiah here, unlike those other people, uh, he he doesn't put up an excuse. Uh, one of the few times in Scripture, I think, where, he, where somebody doesn't give an excuse. Um, but he comes in in verse 8, uh, and there's a slide with this. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Isaiah has this beautiful encounter with God. And then God just kind of says rhetorically to himself, like, Who will go for us? Who should I send? And rather than waiting for for the kind of what it is that he's sending them to, rather than waiting to hear what it's going to cost, waiting to hear if it's going to be difficult, waiting to hear if he's qualified for it, Isaiah jumps at the opportunity. And I think it's because in that moment, he had a right picture of who God is. He, he got to see God both high and exalted and glorious, but also a God who removes his sin and who cares for him. And, and when we have that understanding of God, how could we do anything other than jump and say, here I am, God, send me. I'll do whatever you want because you are worth it. Isaiah doesn't wait. He volunteers because how could you not volunteer? in front of this God. I, I, yeah, this passage in Isaiah is one that stood out to me a bunch, and, and so it's the book of, of Jonah. And so I'm just going to do a little bit of comparison just because I, I find it fascinating. Um, 
So God calls Jonah, says, go to Nineveh and preach against it. Uh, if you're familiar with the story, Jonah gets on a boat and literally goes the opposite direction to the end of the known world and flees from what God calls him to. However, Isaiah, God just says, who should I send? And he says, I'll do it. Whatever it is, I'll do it. Um, I just find some of that stuff funny, the, the difference in the way God, in the way people respond to God. Um, another one is just simply that Isaiah had a terrible, terrible call. Uh, verses 9 to 10, he says, here I am, send me. And God says, all right, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their eyes dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. The calling God gives Isaiah is go out, preach against these people, and they're going to be hard-hearted. Not a single one of them is going to listen to you. And you're just going to sit there telling them, doom is coming, our destruction is coming, and no one's going to listen. Like, what, what a terrible call. God tells Isaiah, not only are these people not going to listen, but because I'm sending you out, they're not going to listen. Part of your job is to harden their hearts, to give them this word, so that way they have no excuse, and no one's going to listen. Jonah, uh, on the other hand, uh, was sent to Nineveh, and he walks one day into the city, saying, repent for 40 days, God's going to destroy everything. I imagine not very enthusiastically when he finally gets there. And the entire city repents. They, they cover themselves with ash and with sackcloth. The king himself sends out an edict requiring everyone to fast and to repent, saying, who knows, maybe God will be compassionate. Like, for a missionary, Isaiah or Jonah was the best missionary. Like, he literally spent one day doing work in an entire country turns to God, but, but he started fleeing from this. I, Isaiah starts volunteering, and God says, all right, well, go out and preach. No one's going to listen, but you have to do what I tell you to, because I'm calling you to. And so then, then I, Isaiah asks him, how long, Lord? Um, you know, I think that's a fair question. Like, okay, God, well, but when, when are they going to turn around? How, how long do I have this terrible call for? And, and God says, until the cities lie inhabit, uninhabited and without inhabitants, till the houses are left destroyed and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and the oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Isaiah asks him, God, how long do I have to preach this terrible message? And God says, until everything is destroyed. It, until, if you know the history, until this foreign nation comes and captures and carries away everybody with wealth, everybody who's educated, everybody with power, and leaves people starving. That's Isaiah's call. That's... Go preach. No one's going to listen, but you know the end, and it's terrible. Uh, again, just to compare it to Jonah, Jonah spent one day preaching, and everything happened that was supposed to. But Isaiah's call is terrible. Not a single one of us in this room wants that call. But, but here's the thing. Here, here's the hope in it. Um, 
Isaiah's call was terrible, but he got Jesus. That, that's what Isaiah got in return for this. He, he didn't get wealth. He didn't get people who liked him. Literally everyone hated him and tried to kill him. He, he didn't get prestige, but he got Jesus. And Isaiah got to see God like no one else in the Old Testament did. And, and so if we, if we move forward to uh, John uh, 1240, um, you can turn there if you want, or uh, you can... Of course, always listen. But in John chapter 12, verse 40, it says, oh yes, 39, For this reason they could not believe, because as Isaiah said elsewhere, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal him. This, this is a direct quote uh, of this portion of Isaiah, of this calling that God gives to Isaiah. But then John continues, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. 740 years before Christ would be born, but before the world would recognize who the Son is, Isaiah gets to see his glory and gets to know this is Jesus, this is the Messiah, this is Emmanuel, God with us. And then later in Acts 28, uh, Paul talks about this same passage, and, and he says that it was the Holy Spirit who spoke these things to Isaiah. And, and so Isaiah, unlike everyone else in the Old Testament, he got to see the Trinity 700 years, 760 years but before it's first clearly portrayed in Scripture when Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit descend on him like a dove and the Father says from heaven, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. 760 years before that moment, Isaiah gets to see the Trinity, the most fundamental thing about God, that he is one God who eternally exists in three distinct persons, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who are each equally and fully God. Isaiah got to see this just in this one moment. And so he had this terrible call, but he got Jesus. I, it, it also, I, in various other places throughout Isaiah, we get to see this one. One of them just in this passage, the, the seraphim proclaim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Like, that, that's showing the Trinity that that's, holy is the Father, holy is the Son, holy is the Spirit. Lord Almighty, they are one, and the whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah got to see this. And, and he also got to see this picture of God who is both high and exalted, seated on a throne, above all things, rulers of the whole earth. But who also whose glory fills the earth. He he got to see this picture of what like theolo theological terms would be transcendent and imminent God. He got to see God who is above and over all things, and he also got to see that God is near, that he is close, that he fills the earth. In just the next chapter, uh, one of the most famous passages in scripture that I'm sure we all heard dozens of times at Christmas. But he gets a picture of Christ coming, unlike anybody else. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, which we know God means God with us. 
Or later in, in Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53, he gets to see a picture of Jesus, un, unlike yeah, any, anybody else. Uh, so I'm just going to read this. Um, see, my servant walked wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, so his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they were see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He, this is, this is speaking of Christ, was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are... Because Isaiah was willing to follow God's call. He got Jesus. And that's so much more worth anything else he could have had. And, and so as, as I wrap up this passage, like, man, seek God. Follow him. Because the, the end result, we, we can't promise that you'll get wealth, that you'll get riches, that you'll have a long life, that you'll have any of these things. But you will get Jesus if you choose to follow his call and where he's leading you. And so I just ask again, how have you encountered this God? What is he calling you to? And more importantly, will you follow him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I really don't, don't know what to say um, other than to say that you are high and exalted. Uh, that you are worthy of our praise. Um, and you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, deserve every ounce of our praise. And, and Lord, would you make it clear to each one of us that the thing that you might desire for us to do... Um, Again, whether it's large or whether it's uh, small. And would you give us the boldness and the courage to follow you, knowing 
that ultimately our, our reward isn't anything on this earth, but our reward is that we get to be with you. We get to know you as you truly are. And so, Lord, as we go out, uh, would you fill us with your spirit and fill us with the hope and the peace that can only be found in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Will. So, you guys are dismissed. At 10.30, there is Sunday school downstairs um, for kids. And then at 10.45, youth and cross-training will be up here. Will will be doing cross-training, so if you want to talk to him and argue theology, that's the place to do it. You're dismissed.